I'm Jill Shaw, and you're listening to Catalyst for Change, brought to you by the Shaw Family Foundation. My guest today is Sarah Cherry Rice, the founder and executive director of Digital Ready Boston. Sarah is a former teacher and creative systems thinker focused on dismantling the systems, infrastructures, and organizations that fuel oppression. She is also a proud Boston Public School parent. Good morning, Sarah. Good morning, Jill. How are you? I'm doing really well. That's good. That's good. We've kicked off a new school year just recently, and you were originally, before you moved over to founding Digital Ready Boston, you were a teacher. Where were you a teacher, and and what drew you to education? Yeah, that's a really great question. It actually started out when I was in college as an undergrad. I worked for an organization called Teach for America. Mm -hmm. And when I was in college, I felt very strongly and very aligned to their mission, which was to recruit uh, recent college grads to kind of go into the classroom for two years and really see or be at the forefront of education and then taking that experience and then, you know, thinking about how they might create system level change. And so right after high school, I actually decided to do Teach for America myself. I'd spent kind of a year recruiting folks and I decided to become a teacher. And so I was placed in the Philadelphia school system as a seventh grade math and science teacher. Um, From that experience, I mean, I really got to see kind of the realities of our urban public schools. Mm. Um, And I think for the first time, I really saw what, uh, when we say kind of the school to prison pipeline, what exactly that looks like um, to have kind of an over-reliance on police for school discipline. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that that was kind of life, life-changing life those two years for me. I mean, I remember uh, just thinking kind of when I first moved to Philadelphia. So I grew up uh, down south. I'm actually uh, grew up most of my life in Arkansas. And so I always say, you know, most people don't even know that Arkansas is sometimes a state. It's kind of like an unforgotten, <laughs> it's a kind of for- forgotten state. Uh, but I grew up with kind of, you know, chickens. Uh, the town that I was, you know, grew up was uh, right down the street from where Walmart was founded. Uh-huh. Um, and so when I moved to Philadelphia, it was a, a very different change just uh, culturally, you know, growing up in a rural area, moving into urban. Uh, but I was really excited about the opportunity to kind of be a teacher um, and, you know, be in the classroom. I remember um, just my first day, I kind of like walked up to my middle school in Philadelphia and I was going to go check out my school, you know, uh, the next week, you know, the principal was going to let teachers in to kind of decorate their classrooms and get ready for professional development. And I was kind of just like sitting outside on the front steps of my middle school, you know, thinking about kind of um, this new profession, I guess I was about to embark on. <laughs> yeah. And I remember these like students, you know, riding their bicycles kind of coming up and like looking at me and they're like, who are you? <laughs> and I kind of, you know, yelled back. I was like, oh, I'm the new seventh grade math um, and science teacher for the school. And then they immediately um, kind of picked up rocks and started throwing them at me. Really? And I always <laughs> like... um think about that story or that kind of experience just because, you know, I was entering into a school at that time where it really, you know, my school felt more like a prison more than kind of a place of learning. Like it wasn't a a safe place. It was a very kind of um, oppressive system. So it wasn't surprising like that once I got into the classroom, you know, that students were like, 
oh, who are you? Who are you? Just like another person that's going to kind of like uh, regulate us or, you know, that was kind of very um, foreshadowing of the experience that I was going to have kind of in the classroom. Were they, were they reacting to you as a teacher or was the word teacher a trigger? Was it, were they just the anti-science and the word science was a trigger? What, what was the cause? What, what, what made them act with such hostility towards you? And, and then talk a little bit more about why the experience felt to you more like prison than like school, the school, at least school that, as you knew it growing up in Arkansas. Yeah. I mean, at the time I wasn't really sure. I was like, you know, I, I think, at, you know, I think it was the word teacher, yeah. Uh, because as I entered the, the school and got to kind of know the culture of my the school and where I'd be teach was teaching, I very quickly saw that, um, you know, teachers at this particular middle school didn't stay very long. Like oh, there was a constant right. churn of teachers um, in the classroom next to me, which was the science classroom. Um, you know, there was never a full time teacher in there the whole year. Huh. So sometimes there would be a substitute teacher and they would last I think one substitute teacher lasted one hour, one day. Uh, but there was kind of this um, culture where, uh, you know, learning wasn't really happening. It felt like constant chaos in the school. Um, all the time there would be, we were connected kind of to a high school. So high school students were able to kind of enter our middle school um, through numerous like unlocked doors throughout the school. Um, and so they kind of would come into our middle school all throughout the day, you know, I'd be in the middle of teaching a math class and they were able to just like start fights among like our middle school students, like for whatever kind of beef they had, um, without a student outside of the school. And was this like pure lack of leadership or it sounds like the school was not well run. Yeah, I mean, in addition to kind of like uh, the turnover amongst teachers, there was also a turnover amongst like uh, leadership. So the principal that had hired me for the position uh, wasn't even the same principal uh, that was at the school, like kind of on my first day. And none of these things are are specific to this school, it ends up. Like a lot of these things that you're describing are systemic. You go to any poorly run public school across America and you see a similar reality. Is that, does that seem right to you at this point? I think what I really saw kind of in, you know, I, I stayed in the classroom kind of for two years, but it was very clear that, you know, while I was able to have an impact on kind of those hundred, you know, seventh graders yeah. that I taught, that it really was these underlying system level problems, you know, yeah. the the lack of like, steady leadership at the school, um, the lack of like a safe environment for students to learn. Anybody could come in and out of the school as they pleased, yeah. was created a really unsafe environment. Right. Um, and then certainly at that time, we had transitions at the superintendent's level, so at the central office level. Um, so I really started to see Okay. Well, I loved being in the classroom. <laughs> and right now, you know, even with Digital Ready, I kind of feel like I'm back in the classroom. You know, every yeah. person who I think has been a teacher, like they always want to kind of be at the student to student level. Like that's what yeah. really brings you incredible joy. But I also saw that there were just so many opportunities in which the system needed to be redesigned kind of at every single level. And then I couldn't just kind of stay in the classroom 
and see, you know, like, okay, my classroom is safe. My classroom is doing this while the whole system around me was kind of crumbling. Right. That makes, that makes sense. So then fast forward, you decided you wanted to spend more time in education, but you went and did some work with IDEO. Can you talk a little bit about that and how that work is related to your um, founding Digital Ready? Absolutely. So one of the things, um, after I left the classroom as a teacher, you know that I spent time in many roles um, within the public school district as a um, as a teacher coach, um, coaching principals, um, and then later working in the central office. So I really wanted to kind of see every single level of the system to think yeah. about, okay, where are there opportunities for change? And um, being in, and I very focused on, you know, very urban um, public school districts. So I looked at, you know, I did work in Newark in New York City, um, down in Philadelphia. And then, you know, most of my experience is like right here working in the Boston uh, public school system. Mm-hmm. Uh, but one of the things that I really saw was that the culture of these districts uh, was one of, you know, compliance, um, very top down. So, you know, something comes down from the central office and then goes through a few layers and then is received by a teacher uh, and there wasn't a lot of communication from like teachers who have the, the most contact with a student on a daily basis and really hold those like precious relationships right. and with folks who are making decisions in the central office. Hmm. So as I went to, I, I started to think about what would it require um, our school systems to really make a shift and be less top down, you know, where we're, we're you know, sending mandates down right. to kind of our teachers on the front lines and what would it take to really move us into creating cultures in our school systems that are creative, that wow. are innovative, um, that empower not only our teachers, but also empower our students <laughs> who have to receive or, or you know, uh, are the receivers or kind of the end user of education? Yeah. And so when I asked myself, I was like, well, I want to go in an organization that has like one of the most creative um, and innovative cultures in the entire uh, world. Uh, because if I'm going to bring this back into our school systems, I think I need to feel for myself, like, what does this look like? How do yeah. they build this culture? Um, and so that's why I made the decision um, to go to IDEO. And so I spent uh, most of my time in IDEO really kind of studying exactly that. What are the conditions um, that allow creative cultures to thrive? Mm-hmm. Uh, what are the behaviors that both leaders um, and other folks in the organization really exhibit um, to create kind of this safe space. And so when you, when I think of kind of creative and innovative cultures, I think of um, it's a place where you can like bring your whole self. Yeah. Like you don't have to leave like half of your identity at the door. Right. And you get to bring your whole self to work each day. And so that for me translates like how do uh, students and how do teachers get to bring their whole identities <laughs> to kind of um, school every day. Yeah, question for you on um, this dynamic between, because I, I hear teachers talk about this a lot in public school systems where it feels almost oppressive where there's this top-down leadership and and there, but it's more like governance as opposed to kind of this symbiotic relationship between leadership and um, execution and do you think that just the construct of a teacher's union 
creates that dynamic where um, because there is this continuous negotiation between the teachers union and um, leadership in, in central office, uh, that it creates this sort of dynamic where it feels like it there must be kind of like this ruling entity as opposed to this collaborative system. I, I just, I often wonder if that actually is, you know, the union impacts the relationship negatively. Do you have a point of view on that? Yeah, I think that's a really interesting question. I mean, as I think, I kind of think about how the system is designed and definitely, I mean, unions create this tension in the system, right? Because on one, if you think of kind of this tension on the on kind of a, a spectrum or a continuum, on one side of the yeah. spectrum, we have unity. <laughs> and like unity right. is really great, like shared goals. Um, it's something that every organization wants. But then on the other side of the a spectrum, we want diversity and uh, teachers to have like um, individual uh options to make their own choices in their classrooms and like you every teacher bringing like unique superpowers and specialization and neither one of them are bad like we actually need both in our system uh but these you know there's this constant tension pulling at each other in the system um that's always kind of rubbing up against each other and so yeah I mean, I, as, as kind of, you know, someone who thinks of themselves as like a, a system designer, I think tension is really good in the system. Or we like to think, you know, an IDEO, you know, we're like, ah, creative tension. This is amazing. Because oftentimes when there is tension within a system, it can help, uh, you know, can actually create more creative problem solving. That's where innovative ideas come sure. from. Well, as long as there's leadership, right? As long as there's someone to guide that creative tension towards positive results. Yes. And I think that's what's interesting about, you know, say I take kind of, you know, Boston public schools as like kind of the system. Um, so this tension exists yeah. and it, it could be used for really great things to do really innovative things within the system, but also the conditions have to be there to nurture that tension. And so, you know, some of the things, you know, thinking about kind of the conditions, you know, do students and teachers kind of feel empowered to bring their ideas to the table? You know, where are there opportunities um, when something's not working or when this tension is there? Do teachers have a seat at the table? Do students have a seat at the table? Um, That can certainly help to create these these conditions. Um, And then one thing I saw, um, you know, as part of my research at IDEO, I was studying districts all over the country. So for example, I looked at uh, Gwinnett County Public Schools, which is a huge district, you know, much bigger than here in Boston. You know, there are almost 200,000 mm-hmm. students that they serve. You know, here in Boston, we serve about 55,000 students. Right. And they're a very top-down district, very, some might say very bureaucratic, uh, but they were really trying, you know, to think about ways that they could uh, have a more creative and innovative culture. Uh, but one of the first mm. things, you know, when we, you know, as an outsider kind of coming in, you know, we were looking at all these meetings they were having where all these decisions were made. And there was n- really never a teacher at the table, uh, let alone kind of a student. So all these really important right. decisions that then impact kind of the daily life of a classroom. 
And so that first meeting, you know, we're like, well, we've got to have teachers at the table. Like, let's make sure. So, you know, they're kind of like, okay, let's check the box. (laughs) We're going to have teachers at this first meeting. Um, But then when we looked at that first meeting, we saw that 95% of the airtime was taken up by administrators. So central office administrators. So thinking like, okay, great. They're at the table but they're, they don't have a voice at the table. They're not being heard. <laughs> and it's still in, in right. administrators who are taking up kind of that airtime. And then lastly, you know, as we got, you know, we, we were working with them over the course of a year. Like how might we get to a point where teachers were not only at the table, the airtime was shared, but then also teachers could really um, say, you know, what was on their list, even if it was, you know, criticism, against the policy or the design. They could really kind of throw their like craziest ideas out there and share them openly Mm -hmm. without the fear of being judged. And so that's really the key. And so you get, uh, you know, without the right conditions, it, it does make these tensions where, you know, it's kind of like a tug of war where you're just kind of in a standstill. (laughs) Yeah. And so you, so then you, you took the experiences at IDEO, you decided not to go back into teaching but rather you decided to found Digital Ready. And and um, can you talk a little bit about what Digital Ready is? And and also there's a um, concept that it embraces, which is this notion of a year 13. Schools usually graduate after 12th grade and you, you're um, uh, instituting a year, a year 13. So could you talk a little bit about the organization and its mission and what year 13 is? As I was coming out of IDEO, I was really looking, you know, I'm very committed as a Boston public school parent, you know, living here in this city and thinking about, so great. I looked at all of these schools across the country. I studied IDEO and the internal workings, but how might we create kind of this creative and innovative culture right here in our public schools in Boston? Uh, And what would that kind of look like? And this was (laughs) pre-pandemic. But the first thing I did was kind of, I just set out kind of on my own design journey. And I kind of said like, well, let's, you know, talk to students and families. What would it look like to really have this creative culture where students felt like they could bring them full self to, to school every day? They could, you know, say their wildest and craziest ideas. They could take risks to learn. What would this really look like? Um, So I started to hear all these things from students on things, you know, that they like, you know, what would the conditions look like? Uh, You know, what are the things that they wanted to do? Um, And so that's really kind of how uh, year 13 or digital ready was born. We started saying to ourselves, okay, like we, we understand, you know, what students really want. Um, But our job is really to like remove the barriers that would get us to implementation. Because one thing we felt, you know, we feel like we're really good about, you know, talking here in Boston. We talk a lot about the things that we want to change. What we're not really great at doing is really implementing or trying those things and seeing if um, they're working or not working. Um, And so one of the, you know, one of the values at IDEO is like talk less, do more, like have this bias for Mm -hmm. action Um, and be okay that you're like, you're probably not going to get everything right, but like take some action so that you can gather feedback um, 
then put those iterations into the design rather than, you know, being at a standstill for like kind of five years. Um, So that was kind of the idea as we were launching year 13. One, we really wanted to um, not put a, a lot of constraints on the initial kind of like program. So we wanted to build it outside of K through 12, knowing that if we started to design it within the K through 12 system, there may be kind of all of these constraints, you know, whether it be individuals that say like, no, wait, you, you can't do that. No, you need to use this curriculum. No, are you aligned to this? And then we might end, right. end up just creating something that just kind of, you know, tinkers, but isn't really creating mm-hmm. something that is um, different or looks very different than our current schooling here in Boston. Uh, And it was clear from our research, you know, we did um, look at elementary kind of middle, but it definitely um, was loud and clear that it was our high schools um, that needed to be prioritized. I mean, right now, because we we have so many high schools in Boston um, that are vastly and many of them vastly under enrolled with the exception of our exam schools. Um, and many of them are in the lowest 10% in terms of performance in the state. So when we saw that right. data, um, that's really why we chose to kind of focus on high school. And then a launching kind of this year 13 gave us this way to kind of really design without con- constraints. Um, and there were three things that really kind of like stand out to us that we heard from, from students. Um, one is that, you know, When you're kind of in high school, (laughs) you're 16 or 17 years old, you are really trying to not only discover like who you are, your identity, um, what you're uniquely positioned to do in the world, your passions, your purpose, uh, all these things are kind of happening during those, you know, formative years. I say, really, I saw it in, you know, in my seventh graders all the way through kind of 12th grade. They really felt there weren't these opportunities to kind of really explore, like, what are the things I'm passionate about? Um, What are some of the careers that I might want to go into? Um, And not just like hear about Mm them, um, you know, but really experience them. So like, okay, I did a workshop in middle school, um, after school about robotics that made me really excited. It was the first, you know, it's hands-on. I'm, I'm thinking about robotics, and then they move into high school, but there are no experiences all through high school around robots. So then they kind of say, yeah. "Well, you know, I guess I'm not going to be a roboticist." You know, I had, my last experience was in seventh grade. Let me start to look for other things. Um, and what we noticed, um, there were one of the disconnects that we saw was. Um, So students were saying like, gosh, I want to experience these things. I want to kind of determine like, is this career for me? Should I be applying to college in this? Do I want to spend, you know, four more years kind of studying this? And at the same time, we looked outside our windows and we saw um, Boston's booming innovation economy. And I think for those of you that don't know, you know, Boston has one of the most innovative innovation economies in the whole entire country. You know, we have more job openings uh, per capita, not just here in like the state, but really, you know, as you compare us to like these very innovative hotspots in the United States, but who had access to get into these career pathways um, was very limited. 
So if you kind of look at the Massachusetts tech economy as a whole, we saw that like only 33% of, you know, workers are women, um, 7% are Latinx, and then 5% are Black. Um, so we saw both of these things kind of happening at the same time, you know, like all of these, you know, high wage jobs in Boston, all these innovative jobs were like, or you're on the front lines of innovation, you are creating kind of, and whether it's robotics or virtual reality or artificial intelligence or machine learning um, right there, but yet there were no tangible pathways for students who are graduating um, from our public schools here in the city. And, and can I add that, but, you know, potentially there's not even a knowledge of those industries that, that kids have had such little exposure to, or some of our students have had such little exposure to those industries that they wouldn't even think about um, preparing themselves for those industries because they don't know that they exist. One of the things I hear over and over again from teachers and administrators and city councilors and folks who attended the Boston public schools is that, you know, if you live in certain neighborhoods in the city of Boston, you have little to no um, experience with some of the things that make our our economy um, so robust. You know, you have no experience with the technology sector or the biotech sector or some of the other amazing um, things that happen here. And in not having any experience set, it's very hard to project, you know, and imagine this future because it's just not part of your world. Absolutely. I mean, I remember uh, when I was talking to a student, they said, here, there are only three jobs I've heard about in my high school. It's to be a teacher, doctor, and lawyer. Oh, gosh. I, I mostly hear entrepreneur or criminal justice. Oh, that's interesting. Which is so interesting. Yeah, I think it's very interesting. Well, I think I think criminal justice makes total sense because so many so many of our students are experiencing so much um, exposure to that system in, in their neighborhoods, and um, you know, and I don't know where entrepreneur comes from actually. Yeah, that's really interesting. We do have um, as students were interviewing for kind of our year thirteen fellowship, we did hear a lot of students that were really passionate about. Um, redesigning criminal justice, especially as, you know, yeah. technology now plays an even larger role with artificial intelligence. Right. I think right. one of the other things we kind of, you know, really, really thought about as we were kind of designing Gear 13 is not only do like students not know what these jobs of the future are, uh, but it's also adults. Right. Absolutely. You know, we throw this word kind of jobs of the future around um, and we kind of stopped using that word because they're actually jobs of right now. Like these jobs exist yeah. in our economy, um, but it, it really depends on like who has access to the information. Um, and then more importantly, um, do you have the network to be able to get into these jobs? And so one thing. So Sarah, but why, why is it Sarah that, you know, there's in Boston public schools, Do you think it's just never going to be that we're that Boston public schools is going to be uh, set up to prepare the majority of its students for a diverse set of future opportunities? We see these amazing organizations like Stepping Stone and Beacon Academy and now Digital Ready stepping in 
with hours and hours of additional support and incremental curriculum and training to prepare our students for their adult lives, um, you know, lives with optionality and with exposure to um, all different kinds of opportunity. Why, why does all of this have to happen outside of the Boston public school system um, as opposed to ever being just integrated into our students' lives and experiences as they move through the public school system? Yeah, I mean, I think that's a great question. I think and one of our both short and long-term goals is like, how do we integrate? So we work very closely with our high schools in Boston so that these experiences mm. are embedded into a student's schedule and are not tacked on mm-hmm. like an after school or on the weekends because we know that fewer students have a- access during those times. But I think if we kind of zoom out for a second and we're looking at like the way that the system was designed, you know, when we designed year 13 or kind of this, you know, innovative year that's, you know, a hybrid between high school, uh, college and the industry. So. But it happens after high school, right? So you, you graduate from Boston Public Schools. And then you apply to enter your. We 13. do, but we have a few students who are seniors in high school this year. Okay. And we did that because we really believe that this doesn't have to, while we're designing it year 13 with outside the system so that we don't have as many constraints, mm-hmm. we really believe the year 13 experience that we're prototyping and piloting this year could be something that is in every single high school that every single senior has um, has access to. Because what it allows them okay. to do, you know, most of our students, you know, we're right now we have this share, you know, I, I wouldn't say we share this goal, but the goal of our high schools right now can often be to, you know, like to get the students to high school graduation. We very much track our high school graduation rates here. And sometimes we tend to measure our success around this high school graduation rate. You know, when a new superintendent comes in and they're, you know, kind of in their first year, like, okay, did the high school graduation rate increase? Which there are lots of ways to manipulate that, right? Like that's, that's just a number. And I would argue that's not even the right measure because, all right, so you get a high school diploma. What currency does the high school diploma give a student in the, the city of Boston? It has, I wish, you know, I always say, I wish that it had more currency. I really wish that you could take that high school diploma and it could open doors for our students. Uh, But unfortunately it doesn't. Um, And so then we've, we've created kind of this system where we're going after this goal and we're really like sending students off with this high school diploma that doesn't open doors for them. Um, And we've got kind of, you know, these other, you know, like Stepping Stone Foundation, you know, some of our uh, charter schools in the city who are very much more college driven, you know, their goals are around getting students Mm -hmm. accepted to college. Uh, And we all, you know, why we think that's definitely better than the high school diploma, (laughs) because getting a college degree opens a lot more doors. 60% of our jobs here in Boston still recollege a college degree. We're not quite sure that's the right goal either, because what we hear from students is, you know, um, that they don't want to just go into college uh, for a straight four years. The pace of technology, you know, if you talk to someone in industry changes like every three to six months. So to go in four years and not have a foot in the field, um, you know, they might argue puts you at a disadvantage going into 
um, kind of what we're terming these jobs of the future. So we've heard from students is they really want this hybrid world and what we kind of call this modern day apprenticeship. And it's really not new. Many European countries already have these very successful models that we're based on. Uh, But you can imagine in what we kind of call our triple enrollment pathways, you've got kind of one foot in high school. um, You've got one foot in industry where you're in this kind of apprenticeship. You're learning through doing. You're getting this hands-on experience, um, kind of deciding, like, is this for me or is this not for me? And then you've got one foot kind of in our higher education institutes. Um, And as you, in year 13, students who have already graduated high school have both one foot uh, so we'll have an apprentice at Microsoft uh, this fall. They'll have one foot at Microsoft and then one foot at Wentworth, our partner. And they've, mm-hmm. you know, they've got mm-hmm. this hybrid model where uh, they're learning both, you know, through all of these experiences. Um, what is their purpose? What is their passion? But I think more importantly, they're learning um, creative problem solving. We call them kind of mindsets in our studio. And preparing students to be creative problem solvers is very different than how we've designed the system in our district, where, again, we're preparing students to get that high school diploma. And so right now, these systems, you know, they're, you know, we have different goals. And, you know, maybe it is kind of going back to kind of that word around tensions, (laughs) Uh, on one side of the spectrum, you've got this high school diploma. The other side, you've got our industries and our and slowly our colleges and higher ed institutions saying, "But like, the high school diploma is not what we're what we want to see. We want to see students who are able to save or solve complex problems innovatively and using you know you know relevant twenty first century technology." So tell me a little bit about that that example student who's going to have one foot in Microsoft this year and one foot at the Digital Ready Studios in Wentworth. What is that student's experience going to be like on the Wentworth side? And how are, because the student's with you for one year, is that correct? And then what are the set of things that he or she might take away from that year? And then what happens the following year? Yeah, so the way that we've designed it is so there's kind of like three places they, if you can imagine, where they're kind of operating. So the year 13 fellowship is like kind of nine to five. So you can think about it all mm-hmm. in the mindset of like, I come into the digital ready studio every day from nine to five. Yeah. Um, and each student is put on kind of a, a four person, uh, really co- diverse collaborative team. And this is modeled uh, very mm-hmm. much off of IDEO and the Googles. Um, of the world. So they're placed on a team where the different students are bringing different passions and different disciplines, because that's how the real world works. You're going to work across a very diverse team, and that's where innovation comes from. So in our studios, um, we've designed all of the studios where they're kind of working on um, projects, um, and they're they're very interdisciplinary. So as we think about the jobs of the future, we see jobs of the future of individuals being really needing to be what we call kind of fusionist. Mm-hmm. Fusionist to us means that you have both um, our creative problem solving mindsets. So you have this mindset that um, innovation comes through collaboration or building on other people's ideas. Um, you also have. Mm-hmm kind of this um, mindset of um, being empathetic, you know, really rooting designs and the needs of communities and other people or the end user. 
And then alongside mm-hmm. that, we believe that there are like kind of core set of skills like every student needs, whether you're going into architecture, engineering, or computer science. Um, and those things are, you know, like a data analysis, the ability to storytell, design thinking, or the engineering process. Yeah. So these core concepts. And so that is really the foundation of how our studios are kind of built. And then within that framework, each student then picks what we call a technical craft. And that's what, and the technical crafts could be virtual reality or robotics or, you know, being a computer engineer. But this idea of being a fusionist is really that you are a creative problem solver that can apply, you know, technology and core concepts to any like kind of gnarly, crazy problem that exists out in the world. So how do students find out, how many students are you working with this fall and how do students find out about the opportunity and apply for it? Yeah, so this this is our first uh, pilot year, which we're extremely excited about. Um, and so students were able to be nominated from across the entire city this summer. Mm-hmm. Um, so we have students, I think, mm-hmm. come, that come from around 16 different high schools and all different neighborhoods across the city. And we took 25 fellows for this first pilot year. Uh, We would have loved to take more. Uh, We did get a ton of nominations from community organizations, from teachers, from city counselors. Uh, But due to the pandemic, we really uh, were doing hybrid learning this fall. And so each student, uh, we have what we call a very popular kind of like learning pods where students are able to learn really safely in their four-person learning pods. Mm-hmm. And so we've got six of kind of these four-person learning pods. And so our fellows will be with us. They just started, so they had orientation week just two weeks ago. One of the things we really believe in is utilizing uh, Boston, which is such a resource-rich city, as our, our classroom. Mm-hmm. So we were out at the ICA on the harbor. We were on the Boston Common one day doing the Black Heritage Trail, um, so kind of all over the city, really kind of learning um, from the resources that we have here. And then the fellowship will go one year all the way till next August. So at the end of the fellowship, students will come out with um, real work experience. So in industry, mm-hmm. um, so students are placed anywhere from like Microsoft, more established companies, but they can also work up. We work with a lot of startups also here in Boston, so they can kind of see uh, the different cultures. Um, then they'll also come out with 18 college credits from the Wentworth Institute of Technology, so our partner. Um, and so they're really learning kind of the basis um, that they'll be able to matriculate into any of the different STEM degrees. So whether it's industrial design mm-hmm. or mechanical engineering, um, it's kind of laying the the foundation for them to go into any of those STEM fields And across the course of the year, each student is designing their own journey um, or what we say kind of onto their on-ramp. So they might decide to go right into industry. They could go into Wentworth. They could also take their credits and go into UMass or MIT. Uh, Each student kind of designs their own journey based on their passions and purposes. And and your program supports them in in kind of deciding which path that you they think they should be on 
as a, as a set of next steps. Yes. So and kind of our goal, what we're testing is we want 100% of our fellows to get on to that next path. So 100% mm-hmm. of our students. So whether you, if you want to do a mechanical engineer at Wentworth, you've then, you know, fully enrolled and you're going after that bachelor's of science degree. If you want to take on that entry level role, cause you're going in a construction technology and you're moving into building information modeling, you've kind of, you're on that path. Mm-hmm. Cause for us, um, it's not about kind of the high school diploma or really even the college degree. Uh, we really want students to have access to these high wage jobs in Boston because we see, um, you know, who has access and who doesn't have access and just the income inequalities that exist in our city. Yeah. And so for us at any given time, we're looking to say, uh, what has currency in our innovation economy that opens mm-hmm. up access? And we think there's a lot of things that have currency. Well, what's so interesting to me is that your cohort of students were graduates who did not go to college. And so instead, they're doing this postgraduate year, if you if you will, where they're doing a deep dive into the innovation economy and opportunities here, and I would imagine beyond, and then setting a path for themselves to to move into you know whatever sector they want to, but to really kind of spend a year imagining and preparing for a future that's kind of beyond what their experience set allowed them to prepare for as they were moving through the public school system. Is that is that a fair summary? Yeah, I definitely. I would think that, you know, it's a little like, you know, maybe there is this more hybrid kind of future of work we're, we're aiming towards yeah. where students will always have, maybe even in high school, you know, this hybrid world where they've got one foot in industry and one foot in learning. Like if we really take this concept of lifelong learning You know, we've seen higher education institutions introducing these subscription models, right? Where you're not just a student for four years and like, okay, have access to the library, have access to our software. But after four years, like you stop learning, go out into the world. Mm. But rather they're thinking about these subscription models where you, just like Netflix, you have a subscription to a university because you may be an industry and say like, that software wasn't around when I was in college. I need to go back and get this course. And so we're really aligned to like that vision of the future of work, that vision of higher education. Yeah. Like if we really want, we want our students to be, you know, lifelong learners. They're going to be constantly learning in these future jobs. So how can they have that um, foot in industry where they're making money, which is something that all of our, our students, you know, need, they want to support their families. They want to be able to live comfortably in Boston, which is a very expensive city, but then they also want to be able to learn and be on the cutting edge of their field so that they don't stay in that entry level position, mm-hmm. but they're able to move into leadership positions. They're able to launch their own companies. And I think that's really interesting for us because we see that as kind of the future. And when we were kind of designing yeah. year 13, you know, we really look at this as not just a program. Uh, we are doing kind of like a pilot this year, but we're looking to build a movement and we're looking for innovative partners that are ready to kind of invest in uh, this future, you know, our future innovators, our future talent here in the city. 
So we looked for high schools or teachers or industry partners or foundations or higher ed institutions. They kind of said like, sign me up for this. <laughs> this is the way yeah. that I want to open up access and start to make sense of this like, you know, very siloed ecosystem that we're currently in and create these very tangible pathways that allow for students to learn more flexibly and be more agile in this constantly evolving economy. So if there are folks from any of those entities that you just mentioned, from industry, from philanthropy, from um, education who uh, want to support this work, how, how do they do that? That's a great question. So we're going to be launching pretty soon. It's very new. We're, we're constantly designing, kind of making a pledge and signing up. So we've had kind of folks already come to the table and sponsor a future innovator. Mm -hmm. So we have our launch partners, um, Autodesk, Triumph Modular, um, Microsoft, or um, even like startups, um, FlexiTail that you might've heard about here in Boston. Mm -hmm. um, so that's a great way you can just sponsor one of the future innovators for a year. And then we'll be launching kind of a website. So we want to bring our partners to the table because uh, we're not designing this in isolation. Right. All of the learning experiences are being co-designed, um, both with our higher education partners and our industry partners and our students. You know, going back to kind of uh, when I was meeting with these different districts across the table, each one of our year 13 fellows as a designer has a seat at the table. Um, and they are actively designing this pilot that will not will pave the way for, you know, future students after they kind of finish this fellowship year. And so they are, you know, we joke that like we run Google, like Google like sprints every week <laughs> where feedback is coming in from the students and then going into the next week that no two weeks in the fellowship are the same. Uh, because it wouldn't be the same because it's based on these really rapid cycles of feedback from our students. Um, so we'll be announcing yeah. that very soon. And we'd love for our partners really to pledge, you know, we're looking for those folks who are ready to invest in this new way of learning um, and really invest and activate these, you know, what we believe are the future innovators of our city. Yeah, that's so beautiful. And how do you see, just looking out into the future, maybe as a last question, how do you see Year 13 and Digital Ready evolving? It, it, it seems like the sort of thing that grow pretty substantially. And do you see it growing in partnership with the public school system, uh, you know, as uh, adjunct to the public school system? What What would your hope be for how this grows and develops in the city of Boston? Yeah, I mean, I think our hope is we want to open up access um, to as many students as possible. And I think that requires us to really be in partnership um, with the system. Yeah. And so I think we see, you know, in our dream world, you know, we'd be year 13 this year, but we would build backwards, you know, into year 12, into year 11, that this would be, you know, kind of an, maybe a, a citywide uh, pathway for the city of Boston, that regardless of what high school mm. you either selected or, you know, haven't selected, because we know that students often get randomly assigned in the district, that you could say, right. you know, like, yes, this is where I want to be. I want to be in the next generation of innovators. 
Um, so it doesn't matter which high school you go to, which neighborhood you're in, that this opens up access and that you're able to kind of access, you know, I don't know, call it a career pathway. We're kind of this, you know, this innovation pathway. Uh, if you say that, that, that this is what, you know, this might be an option for you. Right. And we kind of recognize, you know, this may not be for everyone. We're really looking for students. We say, you know, that are passionate about changing the world through design and technology. You don't have to have any experience. We're looking for folks, uh, students who are curious and want to learn, but do want to change the world through design and technology. That's a beautiful a beautiful way to end and a beautiful beginning, it sounds like. I wish you all the best in this first year of year 13. Um, and thank you so much for joining us today. Oh, thank you so much for having me, Jill. Thank you for listening to my conversation with Sarah Cherry Rice, founder and executive director of Digital Ready Boston. Sarah's concept of a year 13 makes me both thrilled to know that there are people in the world creating tremendous options for our most vulnerable students and a bit concerned that our public schools are not preparing a large number of students in America for a prosperous future in today's economy. To learn more about Sarah's work and Digital Ready, go to digitalready.org. I hope that you enjoyed today's podcast, and if you did, please rate, review, like, and share it with your friends. Have a great day.